Hello and welcome to UX Research Geeks. I'm your host, Tina Lichkova, a researcher and a strategist, and this podcast is brought to you by UX Tweak, an all-in-one UX research tool. This is the fifth episode of UX Research Geeks, where we spoke to Stephanie, who is a UX researcher and designer based in Luxembourg. She has 12 plus years of experience and specialized in enterprise UX and mobile. She teaches, speaks, and writes about design, UX research, accessibility, cognitive biases, design dev relationship, and much more. Hello, Stephanie. Hello. Uh, I was thinking, and when, when I was thinking about how we structure the show, the first thing that came to my mind uh, coming from our kickoff call was Stephanie and Cranes. <laughs> true yes. I we were also thinking to be honest to uh, build a meme where you are sitting in a crane and promote the show like this but maybe it's going too far you tell us later on <laughs> but tell me tell me really what awesome. is what it, <laughs> but tell me really why why is Stephanie into cranes or what does cranes uh, what do cranes do have to do with Stephanie Uh, I'm not into cranes, but I happen to have learned things about cranes because uh, I was working on a project that was about uh, monitoring crane system. Mm-hmm. So you have to imagine, usually on a construction site, you have one, two, three, a bunch of cranes. And the goal is to make sure they don't collide. And it's uh, not just about the middle of the crane. There's this super long arm. So you have to put them in uh, somewhere in the on the construction site to make sure that uh, even if the arm is rotating because there's a lot of wind, there's no chance of collision or something like that. So I was working with a client and he had a monitoring crane system. It was mm-hmm. kind of super fun as a nerd because um, I had the real-time position of all of those little cranes uh, mapped out on my screen. <laughs> So I was like, is this real data? The guy was like, yeah, that's um, somewhere in Paris, these three cranes, and I could see them like rotate in real time. I was like, like oh, this Ooh. is so cool, <laughs> so fun. <laughs> so yeah, I, I learned a lot about uh, how the crane works and the different constraints and why you need to monitor them. Uh, basically, when there's too much wind, uh, you need to uh, let them loose which might a little bit sound a little bit counterproductive, but the idea is if there's too much wind, the arm needs to be able to rotate how, um, how it wants to rotate based on the wind. Otherwise, you, it might like just have the crane fall or something. So mm-hmm. yeah, it was really fun, <laughs> interesting project. I didn't know anything about crane and how they worked uh, before that, but um, yeah. Also quite challenging because you have, it was a little bit of data visualization. Like how do you show different cranes and identify them on the map? Because uh, there was kind of a, not really 3D rendering, but like, you know, like this fake 3D in the browser. Mm-hmm. So you could kind of move it around to see the position in real time. And uh, yeah, the monitoring part with alerts and stuff. So it's uh, basically, you need to make sure that you don't use only color, for instance, because mm-hmm. if you have colorblind users, 
I can't say, oh, crap, the red one has an issue. It's like, yeah, which one is the red one? So there was a lot of challenge yeah. with uh, having a visual language to make sure that all the users, even if they are colorblind, for instance, could uh, see which crane is which and which has an issue and things like that. So, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> really interesting, really. But I'm, but I'm still imagining you uh, navigating a crane. <laughs> I would love that. <laughs> I didn't ask the client to do that, but I should have like, hey, can I go and just go into the crane, you know? Just have you been... But have no, you been physically in one? No, I wasn't. No. But I think the issue is, I don't know if they have a little elevator if you or if you need to to go through a ladder. Mm -hmm. An elevator, I think I would be fine. But if I have to, to use a ladder with the wind and the height, yeah. I'm not sure I would be okay with that. But if it's <laughs> kind of a, you know, like closed little elevator, I think I would just like, don't move until I'm at the top. And that would be, that would be fine. Yeah, uh -huh. yeah, definitely. But no, it's super fun because now when there's a lot of construction sites in Luxembourg, I was like, oh, this crane is rotating because there must be so much wind <laughs> over there or something like that. Uh -huh. So I'm like, it, it's not an obsession, but sometimes I look at the scams like, huh, I know about that, <laughs> which is fun. I don't mm -hmm. know if it's a kind of interesting knowledge to have, but yeah. Well, you never know when you need a crane. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, my question with it, I don't. I, I mean, I can imagine the interface and how you were, uh, as you were uh, explaining, uh, watching the cranes and uh, getting some details. Have you been actually? Uh, did you had a chance to talk to the crane navigators? And if yes, what came out of it? Uh, unfortunately, not directly for that project. It was like years ago, I think like eight years. Mm -hmm. And UX design wasn't that popular yet in uh, in France. So I had information kind of through a third part, which was uh, someone made uh, basically the back and forth with, um, with the project. So I had mm -hmm. access to inf a lot of information about how do they work and stuff like that. But yeah, it was not direct um, information though. Mm -hmm. no worries no worries uh, <laughs> that's but also it, like why I like working in on internal tool it's easier to talk to the users because uh -huh. they are somewhere in the building yeah yeah that, and that, that's a good bridge to what I wanted to ask you like what are you doing now after the crane um. history <laughs> Years after the crane history, I'm working as a consultant in Luxembourg. And uh, today, my main client, my only client actually, is a European investment bank. So it's a little bit uh, complicated because it's half European, half private. And basically, they are doing some loans for different projects uh, all over the world. It's just like it's big loans. So it's like investment bank, but um, at a kind of bigger scale and I work on a tool for the bank which is a tool that is kind of a project management tool that is following a project from the beginning to the start mm -hmm. so from someone saying oh we need to build a bridge somewhere in Germany and uh, we can have European um, uh, money from th for that because it's much certain criteria then you have to create the project, you have to do contracts, and then it needs to be improved. You have the money that is disbursed, reimbursed. So all the classic stuff with loans, except that it's like for <laughs> kind of 
big project and different uh, areas and KPIs. And yeah, we have this old tool that is, I think, 12 or 15 years old, and we mm -hmm. are completely rebuilding it uh, for various reasons, mostly because what we have today uh, is a technical debt on the old interface, and we can't provide new features to the users. So due to the fact that it has been built a long time ago, there's a lot of technical restraints. And this is why we are doing a new tool for the technical part. But by changing the technical stack, it also means that we can provide a lot more interesting features to the users because the business evolved. Like today, you don't do alone like you used to do years ago. So in order mm -hmm. to like keep up to date with the business, we are rebuilding that one. And yeah, it's been going on for two years, a little bit longer, but I've been on that project for the, the two last years and we are going to be kind of live, as you say, for our internal users uh, officially in September. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And th this combines two things where I hear, I mean, I personally love the finance field and uh, research in that area, but it's finance and it's uh, kind of like governmental slash private. And it's uh, it's a bank, and it's an enterprise where some designers and some <laughs> researchers are like, oh, that's boring. And I know my reason why it's not boring, but what are your reasons? Why do you work on it, and why do you like to work on it? Uh, the first thing I think is that people are super nice, and uh, like users are just super happy to talk to you. Because it's a tool they're using on a daily basis. They're almost surprised that you are actually uh, doing research and trying to understand things. Because up until now, it was more like IT projects in a lot of companies. It's the case in Luxembourg, but I think it's the case in a, in a lot of countries as well. A lot of enterprise projects today that are really IT-oriented. So you sometimes have business analysts or like PMs who try to gather technical requirements and uh, then they build something. It goes to the users and that's basically it. And sometimes it works, but most of the time the issue is between the moment they gather the technical requirement and the moment the thing arrives to the user, they might be changing and things, so it's already outdated or something like that. So it's kind of a little bit new for my users to have uh, a UX designer who tries to mm -hmm. understand their needs. So it's really, really nice to, to work with them because then you really understand how do they work on a daily basis and um, we do some task analysis where we ask them about tasks. We try to understand what do they need in order to do this task, whether it's information. So we are trying to kind of bridge the knowledge gap from the business information they need and the interface that can help them do what they need to do. But also sometimes it's other tools or maybe just some info from another person or something like that. So there's a lot of things around um, trying to build bridges between the different tools at the bank to make their daily life a little bit easier. And I think that's what I prefer with that job. It's like you actually feel that you are making people's daily lives and daily job a little bit easier. and based on their job, I'm just kind of really happy for them if I can make something a little bit less annoying or complicated because they, if, when they work with some um, some old tools, there's also like a lot of risk of errors and things like that when you have to duplicate information, for instance. One of the main things people say is like, we have to duplicate information because those two systems, they don't connect today. 
So mm. could we have a way to connect them so that the information is automatically transferred? Otherwise, every time you have a human being who needs to do the duplication, there might be errors, there might be mistakes and stuff. And since it's a finance domain, you don't want to do mistakes or you try to do as little as possible. So that's the mm -hmm. thing I really like, like being able to help people and actually see the results of how I'm mm -hmm. helping them. Mm -hmm. so it's really nice in, in that sense. Mm -hmm. Before I go into like what kind of methods you mentioned already, task analysis, I'm also curious because what I know when I am uh, doing some B2B projects uh, or enterprise projects, it's that the people are very happy if you talk to them, but they are also very strict with the outcomes. They are like, but I told you that I want, I need this and that. And then they don't see it because of course you made the analysis and it, you have to like some, um, do aggregate the knowledge and um, make design, mm -hmm. design decisions. But how do you work with the people then explaining them why, why it end up to be like this or not like that? Yeah, there's a lot of change management to do indeed. So a lot of things that we do is we have release notes, for instance, where we send an email uh, showing the, the beta tester, the new version and explaining them the new features and all of that. And we are doing almost like one to one uh, change management. So anytime someone has a question or, oh, why did you do something like that? We are open to discuss and explain. And so there's a lot of iteration, actually, with the people. Mm -hmm. Also, sometimes... Uh, I want to do something technically, but at the moment it's not possible because we only have one developer or because we don't have the APIs yet. Or... So there's a lot of things around not teaching them how IT works, but more like managing expectation as well. But that's also kind mm -hmm. of, sometimes it's frustrating because I have mockups and I validated them. And then when we arrive on the dev side, it's like, oh, we can't do that yet, but we will do it. But eventually, so we are going back to the user and say, we implemented already that and that. This part is going to be implemented a little bit later. And so there's a lot of, I think it's about building trust, you know, mm -hmm. first. So just the fact that we are going to understand how people work and trying to analyze that is already kind of a first step of building trust. And I think that's the, the complicated part is, uh, yeah, building and keeping the trust. So for now, we didn't have that many complaints about, yeah, we told you to implement something like that. But it's also about making them understand. And I think that's the trickiest part, that I'm here to understand what they need. And I'm here to understand the pain point and I'm here to provide a solution. And since there's a lot of areas in enterprise where, as I said, they were working mostly with IT people and they had to be the designer. Like the user had to say to the IT people, I want a checkbox that says that at this specific place of the interface. Mm -hmm. Because otherwise, if they don't specify this super strictly, It might not happen. So I'm kind of trying uh -huh. to fight, smoothly fight that. Like I have people when I'm showing them or like when we're doing uh, some tasks or just feedback session, they're like, oh, I'm sorry, I wasn't really helpful. I didn't have a lot of feedback. You know, it's like, it's fine, you know, like you're not supposed to do the design. I'm supposed to do the design. You're just supposed to 
tell me, show me how you work, and then we will find the solution. So that's the kind of um, fun part as well, is uh, to say, uh, okay, you had a need today. We didn't implement a checkbox the way you, you wanted us to do, but we implemented a way for you to do that. Does that way work or does that way not work? And sometimes, because we are not doing usability testing on every single checkbox of the interface, sure. otherwise it would be super, <laughs> nothing <laughs> would ever be shipped. So yeah, sometimes we say, you know what, we go on a hunch, we do that, it goes into the next release, and then for the release, we ask for feedback. And for instance, from at the moment, um, we've released something on a hunch, and we got interesting feedback from the user, and they say, no, actually, you know what, we prefer it that way, because it makes more sense for different reasons. <laughs> not going to enter in the, the UI details. So now we are kind of um, reverting back to another version of that and see how this goes. So there's also kind of a lot of iteration. But I think if we build trust and we make them understand that it's not maybe the way they imagined it, but it does what they have to do mm -hmm. in a kind of okay way, most of the time they're quite happy. Like, I had the opposite, actually. I had people who said, yeah, I need that here and here. And when we offered the solution, they were like, oh, actually, your solution is better than mine. It's like, <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, don't worry again. It's my job to... <laughs> uh, so it's always a little bit like... I don't know if you could call this... Uh, how I want to call that, but it's like years of people having to tell exact needs and know when they... They're like lost when you don't ask them for needs. You just ask them for like understanding how they work. You know, it's like, it's okay. I just want to observe how you work and that's going to be fine. Like I have an example for that. We were redesigning, we were migrating a, a page. And uh, on that page, there's a big list of um, operations. And um, mm -hmm. one of the users, she said, yeah, it's a little bit annoying. I would like to have an export to Excel for this big list. So I was like, okay, but you don't have an export to Excel today. So how do you do that? So she goes into the page. She um, selects the whole table. She copies it into Excel. And I'm like, okay, now what do you do with this page in Excel? And she goes into the Excel filters. And she removes every operation that are not active anymore because she says, yeah, I don't need the inactive one. I need to, <laughs> they're inactive, so ah, I don't care about okay. that. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, so actually what you need is not an export to Excel, but is a way to remove the inactive operation from the list. And the cool thing is that now we have a new um, technical stack that is a little bit more modern and we can actually put the filters directly in the table in the browser. So instead of implementing an export to Excel button, what we did is we have those tables and we have a lot of filters. And if they say, I don't care about inactive operation, they go to the filter and it removes every inactive operation from the list. And that's it. So yeah. there's places where it makes sense to export to Excel because they need to do some stuff with the data like graphs and share and stuff. But for this particular place, the need was not exporting to Excel. The need was mm -hmm. removing stuff from the screen. And we have other ways to do that. But she expressed the export to Excel because that's how she does today. Basically, that's like she's mm -hmm. used to do that. So I think that's the big kind of difference between um, IT collecting requirements and users saying, I want an export to Excel versus me digging... <laughs> 
a little bit more and saying, ah, maybe I understand what you need. And it might be an export to Excel, but maybe we can provide something even better. And she was super happy that she can filter directly in the browser. Mm -hmm. Because then it's like one, it's way less steps to do that in the browser than the whole putting it in the, uh, Excel like she, she used to do before. Mm -hmm. And what really interests me is this building trust. But before that, is this, how do you identify the users in a way that, okay, these are the people that I need to talk to? How do you stumble across a lady that wants to uh, have an excelled export? Uh, and then how, yeah, how, how do you identify them? <laughs> So I'm working with uh, business analysts and um, in the bank, we actually have people who are supposed to do the coordination between IT and uh, business users. So usually when I need some users for specific things, I'm just reaching out to the people who um, already know that. So the bank is, this is really like organized by departments. So mm -hmm. I kind of know that some pages are more used by some departments than others. So usually it's uh, first thing is uh, trying to find a few people via coordination. So I, now we have, I think, 100 people uh, as beta testers. So I already have this kind of pool today. But before that, yeah, it was uh, whenever we would uh, migrate new pages or new topics, I had my business analyst who would go and say, okay, I need people to do that. And then he tries to find them based on like mm -hmm. context. <laughs> <laughs> internal context and then one little trick is uh, at the end of each, each interview what we would do is like oh by the way can you recommend us two people nice. we could talk mm -hmm. to as well so that mm -hmm. uh, and that's really cool because since that person recommended us then we could say oh man we did that with that person she recommended that we talk to you which works like so much better than just like, okay, I found the name of someone I know they do it. They don't know me. And out of the blue, sending an email, it's like, hi, I know you're doing that at the bank and I'm looking for people <laughs> to talk to, which is a little bit creepy. So recommendation, even for like internal people, employees, a really, really good way to just like reach a wider audience and uh, make sure you you find the right people and most of the time like even during the interviews people would just like oh you know who you should talk to i think this person would be someone mm -hmm. you also need to talk to so just kind of organically people would refer to other people um, for the same tasks and activities yeah that's the perks of working on internal tools uh, everyone is an employee so it's kind of easier to recruit and find other people since at some point, it's uh, all connected. Mm -hmm. And the building trust, how would you describe works that? And how? what are the, maybe there are some practices that you use every time or regularly. What would you recommend uh, for building trust? Mm -hmm. I think one of the main thing is, and it's something I repeat all the time, my business analysts repeat all the time, is our door is always open. So it's like whenever you have an issue, like at the end of the day, I have people who contact me with issues that have nothing to do with my project, <laughs> but I will still like answer to them because I don't want to know, like lose the connection. So it's really like, if you want to send us an email, if you want to send us a Skype message, a team message, whatever, call us, please feel free to do so. So there's a lot of um, 
of things where just like we adapt to whatever however they want to communicate and so it's a lot about that like um, showing that we are here for them and uh, I have people who then go back and regularly do this kind of thing so um, so the thing is we have a part of the interface is uh, in a beta version so some people have uh, already access to that and what we do with them is uh, we do kind of a first session where it's not really a, user, a usability test because you can't really like write tasks upfront because we mm -hmm. are doing we are asking them okay this is the new interface we are not going to present it to you what we want you to do is try to do whatever you were supposed to do today with the old one but with this interface and we are here in case you kind of have big roadblocks, but uh, please do that. And we observe you if you want to think a lot. So it's usually like one hour session where people try to do what they used to do with the old one. And then of course they're going to explore a bit new features. So it's not like by the book usability testing because in usability testing, when someone asks you, oh, what does this thing do on the screen? You're not supposed to reply to them. Here we say, okay, what do you think it does? Maybe you can click on it to try it. Or something like that. And after they had this first session, what they can do is uh, use it for a month. And we have this uh, user diary, which is an Excel sheet because I work in a bank. <laughs> so <laughs> obviously it's an Excel sheet um, where I, I have different columns. And so the idea for the people who are not used to use a diary, it's a method to capture whatever you need to capture. Most of the time it's behaviors or tasks and things over time. So what we do is we give them uh, an Excel sheet. We tell them, use the interface for, for one month. And then during the month, whenever you needed to do something with the old one and you can't do it with the new interface, whatever it is, please log uh, an entry in the, in the sheet. And then we have Colin where we ask, what were you trying to do? How often do you do that? Why weren't you able to do it? Sometimes it's, yeah, because this, this content wasn't migrated yet because we are mm -hmm. migrated in an, in an agile way. No? And sometimes it's, there's a lot of uh, in those that is just like we move the content to another place and they are not used to it yet. So what we do after that is also a follow-up. So a lot of those follow-ups are actually either like, oh, yeah, this content wasn't migrated or, oh, crap, this is a bug. <laughs> you found a bug. <laughs> we are going to fix that. We need to fix okay. that because, okay, it's rare, but sometimes mm -hmm. uh, for very specific niche stuff, they, we find bugs like that. And, um, yeah, sometimes it's just usability issue or like ah, they didn't find um, the this thing was moved to a new page because we change a lot of the, um, the architecture mm -hmm. so sometimes it's just like getting used to it and um, but usually like when they log something at the beginning and uh, then we go back to them with the user days they're like oh yeah i logged it but like two days after i found where it was so it's perfectly fine so and this is also like this kind of building trust is we're not just asking them for feedback. We are really like following up on feedback and and a lot of stuff. So yeah, it's a lot of back and forth and really building a community of users uh, we can talk to, they can talk to us in an easy way and just being there for them, basically. Mm -hmm. But it also sounds like when I'm listening to you that basically stakeholders, which is not my favorite word because those are people, uh, are also your users and it's overlapping. Could it uh, be or? 
depends. Uh, stakeholders, like super high level stakeholders, they're so mm-hmm. high in the bank, they, they're not on the daily basis of contracts, operation and stuff. Mm-hmm. So they are kind of, I think, too higher up uh, to actually use the tool. But some people still like head of units, but those people have also like maybe a little bit different needs. It's more like we classify the needs in different categories. And usually when you go higher up in the hierarchy, those people, they're not going to do things, but they want some reporting. So one of the mm-hmm. things we want to bring in the new interface, because now you can do a lot of things in the browser, is our reporting, but also like some graphs. So we have a lot of tables and we say, okay, it would be nice that we could like switch some of those tables from table to graph. So this is not developed yet because technically it's um, it's a little bit complicated, but uh, that's one of the things. So now at the higher level stakeholders like sponsors and those are not really our users. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And how do you build trust on that side? Uh, I'm not that involved with that because I'm a consultant. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I'm helping my colleagues. So there's a lot of things going around with her. So that would be more a question for my uh, PM and my BA mm-hmm. and my um, technical mm-hmm. architect. But uh, I, met, I met some of them. They know I exist. So that's, <laughs> that's uh-huh. already really, really nice. And uh, so, yeah. But here it's more about reporting and stuff. But uh, yeah, that's more like politics that uh, they are trying to keep me out of it at the moment so that I still have time to do my job because I'm kind of the only designer in the team so mm-hmm. <laughs> they're trying to preserve me which is nice mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. okay so uh, the, the your recommendation would be to work on an enterprise project as a consultant so you have the a little bit of a distance but you are still involved when yeah, I that's... It really weirdly <laughs> Uh, honestly it depends like uh, Mm -hmm. I'm lucky like every time I worked on a project as a consultant they um, really understood that I'm a consultant I'm an expert in my field so they trusted me Um, I know some consultants Mm -hmm. it didn't go that well for them it's like oh you're just a consultant you're not an internal person your voice matters less so I know consultancy can be a double-edged sword I'm lucky it never happened to me. Like most of the time mm-hmm. as a consultant, I'm, they see me as the expert. So they're just more than happy than to listen to what I have to say most of the time. But yeah, I know sometimes it's not always the case. So I think it would depend on the client, to be honest. Sometimes it's better to be a consultant because then the people value your expertise. Sometimes it's easier to be internal one because voices of consultant matter less than in- internal people. So, But it's hard to know <laughs> when you arrive on a project before you, you work there, unless you can maybe, you know someone and you ask around. But yeah, it really depends on the company, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. how they treat consultants. Mm-hmm. And going back a little bit to the research part and to, to, to the UX part, if you would have any recommendation for people who are just stepping into B2B or enterprise uh, field, what would it be? What to be, for example, really to care- be, be careful about? Breathe. It's scary. <laughs> it's messy. 
uh, people will throw at you a lot of business knowledge and you will feel so overwhelmed at the beginning. Mm -hmm. Like really, sometimes you're like, what? I can't understand that. It's impossible. It's like my brain can't, you know. So yeah, it's a lot, especially in like complex businesses, it's really 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 scary at the beginning like the complexity but the good news is most of the time the complexity can be broken down in small little pieces and then like i like to see this as you know like when you have a lot, um, a lot of strings that form a big ball at the beginning you see the ball and you're like how am i gonna untangle that that's horrible <laughs> and then when you start your research you start talking to people you can see like small little part of the strings and then you say ah i can pull here it's like oh look i actually have something already here and here so it's really about i would say untangling the mess and then it's about finding allies like finding people who can help you understand the business and i would say try to understand the business before going to talk to the users if possible or just have a, like enough business knowledge so you're not going to ask them about every single acronym during um, an interview or something like that. So go prepared. But I think it's the same for every single user research. It's just that in Enterprise UX, you might stumble upon topics you know nothing about, like cranes, <laughs> or like uh, how do, do you do uh, like uh, a lot of disbursement and reimbursement in a bank industry, which is something I, I didn't really know how how it worked before. So yeah, normally there's like people who can help you with that. It's usually business analysts or someone in the team who has enough business knowledge so that you when you go to the user, you kind of know already a little bit the field so that when they talk to you and you're not completely lost. Otherwise, it might be a little bit complicated to do in an interview because you will just ask questions and they will answer stuff that might not make total sense to you so you will not mm -hmm. be able to kind of bounce back and do follow-up questions but and yeah sometimes it's also okay to ask users genuine questions like sometimes i know the business i know how it works but i want to check that like the user ah, okay. kind mm -hmm. of their mental model is the same as the one from the business and from the it side so sometimes i would ask questions and I know the answer on IT and business side, but I'm super curious to see how the people will describe that. And sometimes we have like <laughs> surprises. I'm like, okay, we might have a little problem because like the process we imagine is not really the process they are going through. So let's go back to trying to find a better solution. Mm -hmm. But yeah, complexity mm -hmm. is scary and you need to find some people to help you navigate that and it's okay to ask a lot of questions and i think it's also okay to not take everything for for granted so it's kind of a little bit complicated to find the balance because sometimes you end up with a table with 20 columns and you're like do they really need the 20 columns like can't we re remove mm -hmm. some of those and um but then you start trying to understand the business and you're like oh crap we need the 20 columns <laughs> <laughs> because different reasons so mm -hmm. i think it's kind of finding the balance between how what do we keep from the old interface like what decision that were taken before still makes sense today versus why what doesn't make sense and what can we improve so it's a yeah kind of a tricky balance sometimes to to find the, this soft spot of um 
what from legacy still makes sense versus uh, what's evolved so much in the business that the stuff that was built 15 years ago doesn't work mm -hmm. anymore. Mm -hmm. You mentioned understanding the business then going to the users some time before. You also mentioned understanding the different user roles. That would be something. And what what is also kind of like interesting for me is understanding the IT behind it. And you tackled it a little bit with the yeah. IT stuff. And you probably also re report to IT or... Um, yeah, like me on IT that one. Team. <laughs> so here I'm, I'm in IT team. Most of the time when I was working on Enterprise use, I was in IT team. I don't know a lot of company where UX doesn't belong to IT. Like in Luxembourg, mm -hmm. we have one company where uh, they have a UX department that belongs to innovation, which is amazing. But yeah, most of the time, like in lower maturity, designers will belong and answer to IT. Mm -hmm. Which interesting. Is Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it depends. For me, it's nice because then I work directly with the developers and I know what's technically possible or not. So we have a lot of discussion as well as um, on my designs and the proposals. And I'm like, yeah, I would like to do that. And can the data do that? And also a lot of time um, before going to the users. So the thing is, we are migrating an interface that exists. So the first thing I do usually when I need to migrate something is I go there and I look at what's on the screen. But uh, most like I have some samples, but sometimes I have like some ideas of what is there, but maybe I just have kind of a sample bias and it's more complicated than that for some other contracts. And then I'm go to I'm going to the dev and I'm like, okay, I think the structure of the page, like this is more information architecture work, but it's like I think the structure of the page is this, we have that option and that. Can you confirm or are there more options or more mess? I'm not aware of and I will need to tackle as well and most of the time like the developer can answer part of the question sometimes the users also answer the questions like okay be careful because here 90% of the time you have this value which is okay but if you have this value then you have a whole other page I was like oh crap <laughs> more exceptions like there's nothing my developer hate more than exceptions <laughs> because then it's That's not like, reusable mm -hmm. you know so I'm like I'm okay designing many exceptions. I can design many versions, but at some point, <laughs> my developer will let me. So yeah, definitely mm -hmm. a lot of back and forth and understanding. But the thing is, um, I also like to be able to challenge the technical staff because sometimes they're like, yeah, but it's complicated. So then it's a discussion between is it worth investing in that new thing? So we have this uh, priority priority metrics where we do some meetings with um, me, business analyst, uh, developer, head of kind of architect, and we give points to different things we want to do. So it's mm -hmm. uh, how important is it for the business? How important is it for the users? Uh, how much is it going to cost to develop that? And how much is it going to cost to design that? And then this gives kind of a quadrant with uh, things that are cheap and easy to develop and super important for the users. This is the stuff we are trying to do first. And then you kind of find the balance between um, all of the things. Um, so it's usually kind of discussions and kind of a lot of compromises as well <laughs> on the designs. But um, yeah, at some point... Uh, The thing is, I'm pushing for the users, so uh, 
it's like I will always push for the users. That's my mm-hmm. <laughs> that's my job. So if you ask me, is this really important? Well, if I have a lot of users who want this and think it's important, or if it's going to help them solve a, pro- a problem that they need to solve often on a daily basis, then yeah, I'm gonna push for it. And if it's gonna cost more, then we need to find kind of a, a kind of a balance or something like that. So yeah, there's a lot of negotiation with IT, but. It's fine. It's, I think, part of the project. Mm-hmm. I am amazed on how with how, how much joy is coming out of you when you are talking about it and how much lightness. <laughs> I mean, so in a way that, okay, it's something that I do and there is this light feeling of that it's smooth. Uh, and this amazes me. And this is something maybe when I can ask you for a human advice now, like how do you master staying in its smooth flow in this project. Mm, I think you interviewed De- Debbie and uh, she has yeah. this phrase like low action hero and uh, no, low ego action hero. Ego is the, the important word. And I think it's about that. It's about understanding that at the end of the day, I want to provide the best experience possible for my users to help them do their daily job. And at some point, if a developer comes and they have a better solution than the thing I, I was going to examine, I will take that solution. I like, I'm not in love with my designs. If someone, after a discussion, you know, we can find something even better, then it's perfectly fine, you know. So at some point, if you have a team, I think, and it's also kind of um, the people I work with are really, really nice on a, uh, on a human basis as well. But if mm-hmm. you have a team of people who want to do their best and everyone is kind of working together towards the right direction and there's no kind of ego saying, oh, I really want my solution to be implemented because it's my solution. And, you know, that's the, silly, but I've been on project where it was a contest of ego at the end of the day between two things to be implemented, between two designers mm-hmm. and like everyone th- thought their solution was the best. And even if you come with a user um, testing and show that one of the solutions, then it's like, yeah, but okay. So, you know, you, you can't you can't win uh, with uh, people when ego goes um, into here. So I think on a human basis, that's the thing is being open to other people's suggestion, not following falling in love with your work and knowing that yeah if someone has ideas to improve it like I was designing a feature and I didn't really imagine that we could have drag and drop because I thought it was technically super complex so I didn't even dare to go into direction and when I showed the screens to my developer the first thing it was like why don't we do drag and drop for that it's like oh you're the one <laughs> who said that <laughs> I didn't like yeah if you're open to drag and drop I'm going to design the drag and drop thing because I think it will be a yeah. better experience. But it's like, so like, oh, cool. Let's do that. Then. So it's really mm-hmm. about, yeah, communicating and uh, kind of, it's also building trust with your team, you know, like sometimes you might do some things that don't really work. or So it's about, yeah, trust and making sure that the small friction that you can have sometimes in the team just stay small and don't escalate. And so, yeah human side <laughs> no mm-hmm. but i'm lucky that uh, i'm a really really great team and uh, that also helps a lot like they escalate stuff and also i think it's about acknowledging when you're in a bad mood and <laughs> sometimes you might react to stuff in a more heavier way that you wanted to 
So just tell the people like, look, I had a bad night yesterday. So don't worry if I'm less like cheerful or like if the answers are a little bit more direct. It's just I had a shitty night. I have a headache. It's going to be fine. It's not you. It's me, you know. So just like analogic, these kind of things in a team, I think it can also help make the communication better because then you're not like, wait, is she mad at me or something? It's like, no, I'm not mad at you. It's just... I have a headache, <laughs> something <laughs> like that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, being really clear about this kind of things can help. Mm-hmm. And as one, as last question, probably, or one of the last, uh, you are ending the project or ending, going live with the project in September. What, what, what happens after it for you and for the ah. project? Oh, the project is just like one small thing, part of what uh, what we can do. So now I will still mm-hmm. be around. So September is supposed to be the official time when we say to people, look, this is the official tool, but I have a backlog of 100 items to research oh, and design. Okay. <laughs> so it's kind of an MVP. Today we put the priority on migrating content, but there's a lot of features that we want to bring to the users that is going to improve their lives. Like there's a lot of things around customization. Now that people see that we can do more things in browsers, they expect also more things. So we have uh, things about being able to hide some part of the interface because some people never use some stuff because it's there for another department or something like that. So yeah, we have still a backlog of a lot of things to research. So And mm-hmm. then there's... Um, it's a little bit complicated, but there's a lot of things around this interface. It's not just that interface, it's kind of a, an ecosystem. So so now, as long as they keep me <laughs> and we have <laughs> budget and we can do uh, amazing stuff, uh, I think it should be fine. Mm-hmm. It's a product at the end of the day. Even if you have kind of an official day to say, okay, this is the new one, um, then mm-hmm. you keep on having things that evolve and the business is evolving anyway so i kind of hope they will keep on having the project evolve but uh, that doesn't yeah that's beyond my control but uh, i think Mm -hmm. we should be able to manage uh, at least bringing more features and stuff and there's a lot of other demands for the small projects uh, as well so it should be fine great stephanie where can the people uh, follow you where can they yeah. get to know more about you so i have a, um, a website and a blog stephaniewalter.design and yeah usually i'm on twitter and linkedin so twitter mm-hmm. is walter stephanie because i could not get <laughs> the stephanie walter one <laughs> and linkedin is stephanie walter pro because mm-hmm. again a lot of other stephanie walters around so mm-hmm. i had to find a way mm-hmm and is there maybe something where you are like, oh, Tina, why didn't you ask me that? Nope. <laughs> I Good. don't think so. Good. So thank you very much. I really I really like uh, the attitude that you are bringing into the work and it reminds me how fun uh, stuff could be. Uh, then if you have will... to design table. <laughs> <laughs> Yay. Good. Table? Yeah. Tables, no, like UI tables, not uh, oh, okay. tables. Okay, I was like, oh, woodworking. She's also in woodworking. That's an oh. interesting day on table. Nah. But no, it's a, it's a UI table. Good. <laughs> so wishing yeah. you luck. Uh, hope you have more fun on the product. 
Thank you very much for speaking with us. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to UX Research Geeks. If you liked this episode, don't forget to share it with your friends, leave a review on your favorite podcast platform, and subscribe to stay updated when a new episode comes out. This podcast was brought to you by UX Tweak, an all-in-one UX research tool. Thank you.